Static analysis is a type of debugging that identifies defects without running the code. Static analysis tools can be especially useful for enforcing security policies by analyzing code for security vulnerabilities early in the development process, allowing teams to rapidly address potential issues and conform to best practices. R2C has developed a fast, open-source static analysis tool called SimGrep. SimGrep provides syntax-aware code scanning and a database of thousands of community-defined rules to compare your code against. SimGrep also makes it easy for security engineers and developers to define custom rules to enforce their organization's policies. R2C's platform has been adopted by a lot of companies such as Dropbox and Snowflake, and they are gaining a lot of traction. Isaac Evans is the founder and CEO of R2C. Before founding R2C, he was an entrepreneur in residence at Redpoint and a computer scientist at the U.S. Department of Defense. Isaac joins the show today to talk about how R2C is helping teams improve cloud security and static analysis, how static analysis fits into CICD workflows, and what to expect from R2C and the SimGrep project in the future. Isaac, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. It's great to be here. I have done probably 15 shows over the years on static analysis tools. Why are there so many static analysis tools? Well, you know, Jeff, I think it's something really deep about developer psychology, actually. If I wake you up in the middle of the night and I'm like, hey, here's a list of 20 bugs to go fix, <laughs> you're going to be like, why did you wake me up with this list of bugs? But if I show you a way that you can automate finding and fixing 20 bugs, even if it took you twice as long, you, I think, would be much more excited about it. So I feel like developers, you know, as a group, we love automating finding things, automating, fixing things, and being able to do that on code, you know, it's it's fun. It's addictive. So I think that's why you see this proliferation of just from many different languages and frameworks. People love writing these kinds of tools. Maybe you could explain what a static analysis tool is, because it's probably a bigger category than I'm giving it credit for. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's broadly speaking, two kinds of program analysis that you can do. So you've got static analysis, which, you know, generally speaking, you feed in a source code or binary and, you know, the analysis does some kind of inspection on that source or binary and then gives you a list of results or findings. Dynamic analysis would be something that instruments the application while it's running. So let's imagine we wanted to say, hey, how many, you know, how many places in the code base call function foo? Static analysis, like the simplest thing we could do would just be to fire up a grep, grep for foo in the code base, count how many results. Dynamic analysis, we might, you know, like basically put a breakpoint inside foo and every time it gets called, look at the stack trace and over the course of the program running, count how many distinct callers there were. So that's at, you know, like a basic level, the difference between the two and the tool that my company has been working on and that I'm a maintainer for focuses exclusively on the static analysis side. And from your work on previous or working with previous tools, like previous static analysis tools, was there some gap in the viability of those tools that you saw? Yeah. So the, the tool that we're working on, which is called SimGrep, is kind of a, a middle ground, I would say, between things like linters and grep and the really expensive commercial static analysis tools. So, you know, like you've probably, you know, developers 
have created many different tools that are generally per language. So, you know, you've got like ESLint for Python, uh, or sorry, ESLint for JavaScript, Flakegate for Python, you know, Rubocop for Ruby. There's plenty of great linter frameworks for Golang. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got really expensive, you know, you're talking a million plus dollars a year, commercial tools that are designed for scan to scan for vulnerabilities. And what we felt like was that, you know, a lot of the really advanced analysis tech, program analysis technology was kind of locked up in those commercial tools, which were being unfortunately really used mainly for compliance purposes. And if there was a way to give, you know, an average developer access to those tools, maybe by building one that was actually free and open source, a lot more people might become interested in the tooling. And the other thing that we did, which I think is really cool, is we made it really easy to get started. So, you know, I can show you how to write essentially like a basic linter in about two minutes, and it'll look very similar to code as opposed to being something that requires you to know a lot about program analysis and abstract syntax trees and things like that. So, you know, we've tried to make SimGrep actually feel just very similar to grep, but it's kind of like grep for code. Can you give an example for how SEMGREP works? Yeah, absolutely. So let's say that we want to find a function named foo in our source code. You know, like we could grep for foo, but then that would find, you know, comments that have foo in it or strings that have foo in it. What we would search for with SEMGREP is we'd install SEMGREP and then we'd basically say SEMGREP-E and we'd put foo, left paren, right paren, and that will report every place that's actually a function call inside our program with no arguments to foo. So in a lot of cases, the SimGrep queries are actually valid code themselves, which is really interesting. Now, if you wanna make it a little bit more complex, let's imagine that we wanna find, hey, where are all the places where foo is called with one as the first argument? You know, So obviously you could write a grep for that as well, but with SimGrep, again, just valid code, you're gonna type foo, left paren, one, right paren. And what's cool about that is, you know, imagine you had some variable elsewhere in the program, like variable X, and you defined X to equal one, and it was a constant. And then later on, you called foo with X. SimGrep will still match that call with X because it understands that the value of X is one. And you kind of get all of that, you know, smartness from the engine for free all you have to do is specify, hey, I want to find all of the function calls with one as the first argument. And really anything that's equivalent you know, to that construct is going to be matched by this engine for a relatively simple query. And when am I running this? Is this at build time? So you can, it's, SimGrep is fast enough that you can actually mm -hmm. run it in the editor. You know, this is one of the other unique things is we've tried to just make it really fast. It's not quite as fast as grep but it's pretty close. So you can run it on, you know, like every time you save the file. And then you can also set it up, you know, in your like git commit hooks, you can set it up in CI, you can set it up as like a very long later stage process. But really, you know, and I think this is one of the things that's unique. We're trying to put it just like the linters as early as possible in the development flow. Whereas traditionally tools that have a big security focus don't get run in the editor there's something that happens much later on. So why is that useful to have a static analysis tool that can run across such a wide variety of use cases? 
You know, the way I think about this is, you know, tradition, like usually when you grab a static analysis tool, like somebody else wrote the rules for it, right? And so it's like, hey, like, you know, I think that you should write your Python code this way. And a, a lot of the time, you know, with a linter, it's focused on formatting, right? Like, oh, like it should be this much indentation, this little indentation, and it's about consistency. SimGrep doesn't really care about the formatting. It cares much more about, you know, the sort of like security, performance, quality issues inside the code. So let's imagine that, you know, like you've got some project at your company that, you know, like you, you know, used to have this method named method one, and now you want people to just start using method two. You've got like a new version of the API. So you could write a SimGrep rule that just looks for method one. And then one of the other kind of unique features that it has is you can use the same query syntax to specify an autofix. So it's very easy to write a rule that just says, hey, anytime somebody types, you know, like our custom object dot method one, make it go to dot method two. And that can appear in the IDE as a suggestion. And so what you've kind of done is you've taken the, you know, like this static analysis tool and you've customized it to be something that's actually very, very specific to your project or your broader team in a way that, you know, if you were just grabbing someone else's tool, it would never have that level of understanding that's tailored to, you know, what you're trying to do at your organization. And then you're just automating it, essentially making it really easy to forward patch the code as it's being written. I'm curious about the architecture of SimGrep because you have a tool that you want to have for static analysis across all kinds of different languages, Go and Ruby and TypeScript and Java and so on. But you want to minimize the amount of work you have to do in building static analysis tools for all those different languages. So what's your plan of attack? Yeah, well, you know, our competitor, Grep, supports an infinite number of languages and is very, very fast. So we need a we need a strong strategy to be able to compete with, you know, something like that. We have, you know, so SimGrep is a tool originally known as SGrep that was developed at Facebook. And at Facebook, a lot of the code that got written was for parsing. So that involves, you know, like, hey, like imagine we've got a PHP file. We need to parse that PHP file into a tree-like structure, specifically an abstract syntax tree. And then SimGrep can kind of work its magic. And under the hood, what's happening is the query that you wrote, which again, probably looks very similar to the code, that gets parsed by the same parser. So now you have two trees. You have the tree you're trying to search, and then you've got your search term as a tree. And you're doing a tree matching problem over them. Turns out that you know a lot of the complexity is involved with you know, just supporting every weird PHP feature and like Lua feature and, you know, all these languages being able to properly parse them. And so we've actually uh, re-architected the tool since its Facebook days to use a GitHub project called TreeSitter, which if you've seen any of the jump to definition or show references work on github.com, TreeSitter is actually the same open source project underneath powering both of those tools. And that's, that's been amazing for us because we're up to, you know, if you include the alpha level languages, 17 languages that are supported in SimGrep. And four of those languages have actually come just from outside contributors who have been able to follow the same process that we're using. But it also puts us in a pretty cool position because basically, you know, like if, if it's a semi-popular programming language, 
will probably support it, which is not something that a lot of static analysis tools do. Usually they just support you know, one language for the open source versions. So how does SimGrep fit into the workflow of a developer? Like, I already don't really want to spend a bunch of time writing unit tests, but I have to spend time writing unit tests. When am I writing static analysis? Yeah, great question. So there's a couple different use cases that we've seen people get a lot of mileage out of SimGrep for. So, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, like, I really wish we had a custom lint for Go that could find this sort of thing because we just had a bug and it's really clear looking at it right now. Oh, yeah, like when someone calls foo and then they don't call bar before they call this other thing, that's just like 99% of the time going to be a bug. And with SimGrep, you know, you can go off and just write something that will check for that in like two minutes and then you can put it in CI, you can put it in the editor, wherever. So that's kind of the most basic, you know, like, hey, like, let's do some bug fixing here. Broadly speaking, like if you're if you're kind of just like, hey, like this sounds cool, but I'm lazy. We've got a bunch of rules, over a thousand now, that other people have written that, you know, we've got a website, simgrip.dev, and you can just go browse around and see these rules. And so it can be dumb things like, hey, like I was writing Python and I put a like Python debugger call in and I forgot to take it out. So like, hey, that should just be like a check when I do my git commit or like before I uh, you know pass my CI stage, we didn't leave any debugger calls in there or maybe you know console.log. It can also get much more sophisticated. So we have a really amazing security team and as a company, you know, so SimGrep is an open source project. As a company, our focus is on using this to prevent security vulnerabilities. And so if you go to those rule sets you'll find basically prepackaged collections of rules that are looking for specific security issues across languages and frameworks. Are there any economies of scale to lots of people adopting your tooling? Like, are there language-specific anti-patterns that you can find, you know, using static analysis that people can share with one another and they can run general purpose static analysis rules across their code to find those kinds of common problems? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, one example that I'll give you is, you know, say you're writing Python and you compare, you try to use a string as a Boolean. The behavior of this will actually vary depending on the, uh, the specific string with an is prefix. And so we actually had a bug that was related to this that we found in our own code base. And after we saw that, we wrote a SimGrep rule for it and we kind of published it out to the uh, the rule registry. So now like the rule registry, you know, there's a nice front end for it on uh, the SimGrep website, but it's just a GitHub repo at the end of the day. And in fact, like all of the SimGrep rules, you know, like you can run them on the command line, of course, but if you want to kind of package it up and give it like an ID and a message, there's just a YAML syntax that's pretty easy to use. We actually have like an interactive playground editor that uh, if you don't even want to touch the YAML, <laughs> you can just fill out some fields and it'll format it all for you. But we've gotten a lot of people from just like, you know, various companies who have been using SimGrep contributing their rules back to the global community. And actually we're kind of in a good problem to have position right now where we have more rules coming in than we know what to do with. 
And so we need better systems to help people discover, hey, like these are rules that could be really helpful for security or for correctness, or, you know, like maybe you just want to make sure you don't have people, you know, catching base exception in uh, a language like Python. Do users replace their existing static analysis tools with SimGrep, or do they use it in concert with their existing static analysis tools? So it, it depends on the user. We've seen both combinations, I guess. I think the thing that really makes SimGrep unique is this ability to just come in and, you know, like in a few minutes, you can learn everything about the syntax because it's mainly syntax you already know because it's mostly just valid code. The rules are going to look very similar to your code. And so, you know, if you're just getting started, we'll see people kind of be like, hey, like, wow, I, you know, have a God mode function that makes any user into a super user. And so I just want to get like a Slack notification whenever somebody makes a PR that calls that function. You can do that in a few minutes with SimGrep. We also see people who are actually like, you know, the, the sorts of people who maintain linters kind of using SimGrep as a prototyping tool to be like, hey, like maybe I would turn this into a more full-fledged lint later on, but I'll first do it in SimGrep just because it's so fast and easy. And our goal is that eventually the SimGrep engine becomes powerful enough that you don't have to go to, you know, like a linter framework tool. You can just express it all in the more simple language. But we've certainly seen people basically be like, hey, and actually, you know, those collections of rules that I mentioned, we've ported a lot of tools, rules into the SimGrep language. So, you know, if you've used a tool like the ESLint security plugin or Bandit or GoSec, we've actually written their equivalent rules in SimGrep. You know, they're not necessarily better, but they tend to be a lot shorter and it shows us where the shortcomings of our tools are. We've also had some of the other, you know, scanner tools or linters adopt SimGrep as an engine. So Node.js scan, which is one of the most popular for JavaScript uh, and is currently the default JavaScript scanner in GitLab, if I remember correctly, actually just recently ported their entire core to use SimGrep as an underlying engine. Can you describe in more detail how you see SimGrep being used as a modern security tool, a, a scalable security tool? Definitely. So, you know, if you've ever interacted with a security tool, and especially one that does static analysis, you're probably thinking, oh yeah, you know, it has a bunch of false positives. Like it's going to tell me that using the random function is a security risk because it's not cryptographically secure random. And I'm out here just trying to pick, you know, which image to go first on my carousel, right? So there's oftentimes just a big mismatch between the model that those tools have and it comes back to this kind of one size fits all approach, right? Where if I'm trying to ship a security scanning tool, I need to be maximally conservative about the kind of you know, rules that I put in it. So I'm gonna tell you everything could be a security risk. And what we've seen people do with SimGrep is basically come in and be like, hey, actually we kind of have a good idea of where our security risks might be and it's probably going to be, you know, like this specific kind of issue inside this framework. And so either they can write those rules themselves uh, or, you know, we help them write those rules and then package them up into a rule set. But 
really what we're thinking about when we see teams adopt it is it's much more about kind of reaching an understanding between the security team and the development team of, hey, like we're going to use, uh, you know, React for the front end and like React by design is very difficult to have XSS vulnerabilities in. If you know about React, they renamed the jQuery, you know, inner HTML functionality. In React, that's called dangerously set inner HTML because it's an easy source of XSS vulnerabilities. And so you can just write a SimGrep rule that's like, hey, flag dangerously set inner HTML and then, uh, you know, like tag the security team. If you're using the hosted version, it can just make a PR comment on a GitHub or GitLab for you. And then you can have a conversation about it. And then there's an easy, you know, you can just put a comment to suppress it. But it's much more designed for teams that want to kind of reach an understanding between development and security about, hey, this is what we're actually trying to do rather than, oh, we'd like an out of the box thing that's going to report every issue under the sun. Uh, and the security team will go through and triage thousands of these and kind of spam the developers with reports that might not actually be relevant. In fact, on that topic, Jeff, we recently had uh, a post go viral on Reddit and it was an issue that someone had created in our GitHub repository. And the, the issue was from a throwaway GitHub account. And they basically came in and said, hey, my manager is an asset who doesn't care about security. He's trying to make us like change the code into this bizarre construct specifically to avoid what SimGrep is finding. Can you update the SimGrep rules to find this like alternate construct? And so, you know, SimGrep is super easy to change rules. So we like, we had that fixed like almost immediately. But it really speaks to, I think, for a lot of developers, there's this kind of dysfunctional relationship between the security team where the security team comes in and they, they don't really understand necessarily like how the code works or like, you know, like where the security flaws really are. And at the same time, there's a big push to get developers to take more responsibility into their own hands for security. But there's honestly not a lot of multilingual program analysis, static analysis tools that are FOSS software out there. In fact, we're the only multilingual FOSS tool that has this level of language support that I can think of. So our, our goal is to really, you know, I think I don't believe that developers have zero care about security. I think like people really want to do the right thing and security is ultimately another class of bugs, potentially a very important one. And so my hope is that, you know, we give people the kind of tools to figure out, you know, like, hey, maybe your security team doesn't know what the issues are, but you do. And you can kind of set that up in a really easy to use way. So you mentioned that SimGrep was based on this tool that came out of Facebook. Can you talk more about the history and I guess why that tool was originally developed at Facebook and how it evolved into what you've built at R2C? Definitely. So actually, you need to go back even further than Facebook for the origination of some of the ideas in this tool. The custom syntax that we use in SimGrep is inspired by a tool named Coxinel, which actually did a whole bunch of refactoring in the Linux kernel for kind of like bugs. And basically, Coxinel was a way to say, hey, like whenever we see a construct like this, make it look like that. And it was, it was much more complicated 
than what SimGrep aims to do. And it was specifically designed for you know, giant C code bases where you have a lot of these problems. But if I remember right, Coxinell ended up making over, over 10,000 automatic patches to the Linux kernel, which is a very good track record for an automated tool. And uh, one of the Coxinell developers was the first program analysis hire at Facebook. And he ended up creating an adaption of the Coxinell tool as part of a broader framework for program analysis called sgrep and you know i was not an early facebook engineer but my understanding was that a lot of you know people there were able to write sgrep expressions to kind of look for oh hey when you're following this function that's kind of unexpected please reach out to the security team you know and make sure that you get the sign off from us and it was it was used you know really in the same way that we're hoping other people will use it as a communication you know conversation starter like hey like interesting we didn't expect people to do that are you sure that's what you want? Maybe you think about this other thing instead. Can you tell me more about the founding story of R2C? Like why you decided to focus on this problem of all problems? Yeah, my co-founders and I met as undergrads at MIT. And, you know, we didn't work together until a few years after graduation. I had been working in the government on a scholarship program. I had actually gotten to do some really cool stuff more in the reverse engineering space. My co-founders were working at Palantir. They had done a lot of consulting for kind of large Fortune 500 companies that were having security breaches. And, you know, when we compared notes, we felt like the way that people thought about security at these companies, as opposed to places like Facebook and Google, was just very different. And, you know, at Facebook and Google, they had tools like Escrep to basically, you know, provide security advice, not just kind of the, you know, like the, the spammy security advice, but really good, high quality security advice early to developers, whether it's in CI or in the editor. And at the Fortune 500s, or, you know, the kind of just like more broad corporate world and <laughs> government as well, security tools are just kind of tacked on at the end. It's like, Hey, yeah, you know, like, Oh, now it's time to do the security scan. Oh, we found a thousand issues time to fix all the high severity issues if we have time and then just get the thing out the door. And, you know, not only is that less efficient, it ends up just being way more costly because you know that the application is, you know, certainly vulnerable to these like broad classes of defects. Uh, you know, so imagine you're building like healthcare.gov, you know that it has XSS vulnerabilities and things like that. And you end up buying even more products after you've done these security scan on the code uh, to try to protect it in production. And what I think is really fascinating is that the big technology companies have figured out how to just broadly eliminate entire classes of vulnerability by changing the development process and using some lightweight static analysis tools to enforce it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you have any uh, other perspectives on the gaps in software development between government and industry? Well, <laughs> one of the things I'll say is that in the security world, especially, you've kind of got like the you know, Fortune 500s, and then you've got the banking sector, and then you've got the government. And they all assume that everybody is doing a better job than they are. And the reality is that I think the only people who are really doing a great job are, you know, broadly speaking, the Facebook, Google, 
Netflix, Amazon cruise of the world. And Facebook in particular, you know, I'm, I don't actually don't think Facebook is even using Escrep anymore. You know, that was their original name for it. They have invested so heavily in hiring an army of, you know, very smart PhD or equivalent level program analysis people. They've built a lot of tooling that is just deeply tuned to Facebook's infrastructure and needs. Same with Google. On the other hand, you know, like there are a lot of ideas there that we think are really valuable that we're trying to, you know, put into the platform that we're building around SimGrep. So one that seems really obvious that none of the traditional security scanning tools that government, banks, broader industry have is the fix rate. So, you know, like, hey, like if I interrupt you as a developer and I'm like, hey, <laughs> here's this thing, random. It's not cryptographically secure random. Did you know that? What does the developer do? What is their reaction? And what are the statistics and metrics on how much of the time is the developer like, well, thank you, Tool. I did not know that. I'm going to accept this suggestion to use a cryptographically secure random number source. And what percentage of the time is the developer saying, get this thing out of my way, stop failing my build. <laughs> I'm very annoyed and I'm going to figure out how to ignore this thing and shut it up as fast as possible. And so we've, you know, like Google's tooling, most notably, like they've very publicly talked about like implementing this kind of feature. And we just shipped a version of that uh, that we've been dogfooding ourselves and just in the past couple of days made publicly available. And it's been great. And like the random example is a perfect one because yeah, like we had a 0% fix rate for all of the stuff related to randomness and the code base, which kind of makes sense because we're not developing cryptographic code. You know, we're not really concerned about cryptographically secure random number generators being used. Now there, there are some exceptions and there are some reasons that certain libraries and things would need that. But broadly speaking, you know, we're worse off for notifying the developers about those sorts of issues. Well, coming back to your business, I'd love to know about the go-to-market strategy for building a static analysis tool like SEMGREP. How do you get people to pay for it? How do you price it? Just tell me about the go-to-market strategy for your company. We're still early in the go-to-market strategy, Jeff. I would say that uh, you know the folks at uh, A16Z have this great blog post called Commercializing Open Source, which goes through the kind of stages that they see in this process. And I think where we're at right now is we have a good project community fit. You know, so we have a lot of like great teams that have already adopted the open source SimGrep. They've set it up themselves. You know, these are places like just fantastic developer talent from like Atlassian to uh, GitLab to um, less known Valley companies. But you've got like, you know, Dropbox is a big user of the open source as well. And our, our goal is really to, you know, figure out kind of, hey, so like SimGrep has a lot of resonance for people who are tasked with automating code review, automating security stuff in code. What is the product that we build up on that? That is, you know, kind of respectful of the open source approach that we've taken and provides value when you're thinking about it in the context of an organization. So, you know, you start out with project community fit, and then hopefully you move into a product market fit where, you know, like your early users are telling you, hey, this is something that I would like to buy that builds on top of this great engine that you all have built. And so, you know, I think 
We've talked about a couple things on that from that perspective. You know, SimGrep is an LGPL project. It is not open core. So, you know, the whole thing is freely available under that license, which is awesome. There's a SaaS version of SimGrep, which is also has like a very generous free tier that gets you and like the rules are just in a, a, a public GitHub repo as well. So you can, you can run off with the open source version and the rules and have a great time without talking to us at all. But our goal is to build enough value into the SaaS version of it. And actually things like fix rate, which I just mentioned, are a really good example of that. Those are things that, you know, hey, you would need to have like a, a couple people on the team kind of invested in this workflow and like using it day to day. And then you'd be faced with this problem of, wow, like there's like, <laughs> we have hundreds or thousands of repos. There are thousands of SimGrep rules. Like what, what do we want to actually block the build on? And what do we want to just kind of get notified on? And how do we do that in a way that doesn't, you know, overwhelm us in the way that a traditional static analysis tool would do? So I would say we're still figuring it out, but we're trying to draw a good line between, you know, the sorts of things that make sense for an enterprise are the paid, you know, SaaS features and, you know, the sorts of things that make sense for an individual developer who's like, oh, I just want like a cool tool that I can run in the editor. You know, those things are not monetized and they stay under the, uh, the FOSS licenses. Tell me about some of the most difficult technical challenges that you've had to solve in building your company thus far. Well, I feel like we actually got lucky because we were originally building something that was all about, you know, the same problem, trying to address the same problem, but it was, it was much more from the approach of like using the traditional linter frameworks and things like that. And when Yoan, who was, uh, you know, the early fellow from Facebook joined our team and he was actually basically semi-retired because it turns out when you're an early Facebook engineer, <laughs> you can retire. And, you know, when he joined us, he was like, Hey, like, I really like what you guys are trying to do. I really like your mission. And then after a few weeks, he was like, Oh, you know, did you know about this tool that I wrote when I was at Facebook? And we were like, no. And so that, that was sort of the, you know, like the spark that like we got to like, you know, leverage this amazing open source technology from Facebook with the original author of that tooling. So a lot of our, you know, like technical challenges were just kind of like wiped away because Escrep had been under development for like 10 years at that point. But after that, you know, like there were a host of other challenges. So one of the biggest problems, as I mentioned earlier, is supporting many, many languages. And so transitioning from this world where we had, you know, kind of like parsers that were fully under our control to parsers that are also open source projects maintained by the community was quite difficult. And in fact, like the TreeSitter project of whom the primary maintainer is, if I remember correctly, Max Brunsfield over at GitHub is just beautifully designed in that it has this whole, you know, like you specify essentially a declarative language for the parser that's like, hey, like here's how PHP looks. Here's the here's how you would parse it, but that's not an executable program. And then the tree sitter stuff takes that grammar and converts it actually into a very optimized C parser, which is super fast, you know, which lifts the kind of raw text into a tree structure. And then what SimGrep has to do and the, the part that's the heavy lifting for us is we have to translate that tree structure into a generic tree structure. So like you've got your Python program, you've got your Ruby program, you've got your JavaScript program. We're translating all of those into this generic AST. 
but we're still trying to keep some of the like engine that has like features which might be really specific to the language. So just as an example, like imagine you're looking for a Python function that has like keyword arguments. So like the function is named foo and you're looking for like a equals one, b equals two as the keyword arguments. Well, in Python, the order of the keyword arguments doesn't matter. So if you call foo with b equals two, comma, a equals one, it's the same thing. And one of the cool things about SimGrep is that because it's not truly generic, it still has language specific knowledge. SimGrep will actually find both variations of those keyword arguments for you if you're using Python as a language. But in order to do that, that means that, you know, like we can't just do this trivial translation from the parsed Python code into the super generic AST structure. So do you think this will be the kind of company where the challenges are more around building the right product and getting the documentation correct and getting the go-to-market motion correct, those are going to be the more challenging aspects rather than the technical challenges? I guess I would say, you know, the technical challenges are really considerable. We just have an incredible team that has exceeded my expectations and beliefs about what's possible. So, you know, like the technical challenge that we're working on right now is autofix where we're interested in saying, hey, like, you know, imagine you found this function with these arguments. We're wanting to use this declarative syntax to transform it into something totally different. But if you have like, you know, comments in the middle of the code or like stuff like that, we don't want to just blow away, you know, like the structure around the code. So getting that right uh, is even, you know, more tricky because it involves kind of like a, a rendering back from that tree structure into the code. Since, since you know, like the team who's working on that is so talented, frankly, yeah, I think my big questions are around, you know, the go to market. And really the, the fundamental question there is, you know, hey, why have, you know, these other security tools, like the ones that are really expensive with all these advanced capabilities, why have developers never really picked them up? You know, why, when I was a, an undergrad, you know, graduating from MIT, I'd never heard of tools like Coverity. Why was that? And, you know, like having now talked to a lot of people there, they never really kind of tried a bottoms up structure where they were targeting, hey, like what if we could get the individual developer to like be excited about this and try it? They were always, you know, like, hey, top down sales, tell, sell to the CTO, sell to the chief security officer. And so, you know, for us to really succeed, we have to build a tool that emphasizes putting the developer first, you know, developer first security is the, the thing that I think if we can pull that off and actually, you know, like build something on top of this open source project that gives developers a great experience. I don't think there are a lot of tools out there in the security space, unfortunately, that are really thinking about, hey, how does it feel as a developer to get a thousand warnings of you're doing things wrong from a security perspective? So that's, that's where, you know, building that product on top of the technology is just really crucial. Well, I'd love to get your perspective for what you're focused on right now within the company and how you see the next, um, you know, 6, 12, 18 months going. So we just shipped this, uh, this fixed rate feature and we're starting to look at the metrics on it. And what we're realizing is that, you know, 
we've we've we know a lot more about the like massive database of rules than anybody else does and we need to do a better job of sharing that knowledge and giving people rules that are really applicable right so you know if you're writing a like python web app with a javascript front end we shouldn't run uh, php rules over your code base that's obvious but we should also suggest rules that are very specific. So, you know, like, hey, like it's not just Python. Are you using Django? Are you using Flask? Like what are the security pitfalls of using one of those frameworks? Where are the knobs that somebody can go in and, you know, like if somebody makes this call and they're like, hey, yeah, like don't check this thing. All of a sudden the security properties of that framework are super degraded. And so the, the challenge for us and like, you know, what we're going to be focusing on is basically coming in and building on top of this amazing engine and this amazing collection of, you know, rules that are available in that GitHub repository, intelligence that basically says, hey, because you are running SimGrep and you're checking for X, Y, and Z, you're probably not going to have, or you're just much less likely to have security problems that are related to this area. You know, so maybe that's like XSS, but like you're not doing anything to check for, uh, you know, like you're using JWT, JSON web tokens as your authentication mechanism. And you're not checking that people aren't using none as the, uh, you know, the cryptographic algorithm for verification, which would be like an obvious, obvious gap. And you should know if somebody does that. So building, you know, the kind of intelligence to say, hey, like, what are the things I should be checking for? and checking for them in a sensible way is basically the, the next step, I would say, for the, the hosted cloud side of the application. Well, as we begin to wrap up, I, I'd love to get your perspective on the wider market. You've been, um, you spent some time like looking at different business ideas before you started R2C. And, you know, I just like to get your, your, your thoughts on the future, the present and, where you see is the biggest opportunities in the the world of software. Well, I've I've got good news if you are a developer listening to this podcast because <laughs> I think that many many opportunities have to do with making things better for the developer to avoid having to do kind of wasteful work later on. So, to me, you know, like there are all these products in the security space that probably, uh, you know, I had never even heard of before I started doing research. I'll name one of them, like web application firewalls have a bunch of different pieces of functionality. One of the things that they typically advertise is like, oh, like, hey, we'll protect you from SQL injection. We'll protect you from cross-site scripting. And it's just, it's really the wrong place to do that kind of protection. And when you look into it, you know, like they may claim to be using things like AI and ML, but it's actually, it's quite primitive. And I think that the market is going to realize this eventually. And it's going to, it's going to say like, hey, like Google doesn't buy products like that to protect themselves against these vulnerabilities. They do it by architecting the code in a way that leaves them invulnerable to these classes of attacks. And so my, my thinking is basically that I would definitely bet on application security and uh, DevSecOps, to use the buzzword, as areas where you know, like, there's just so much that can be gained by really sharing security knowledge with developers and asking them to participate in the process, uh, as opposed to our current setup where you know, like, it's a tail end thing and we buy a lot of products after the fact 
So because of that, my prediction is that, you know, many categories of security tools that companies spend millions to, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars on will eventually be obviated by just developers getting better training and better tooling for how they write the application in the first place. And of course, there'll be a long tail, you know, like <laughs> of uh, giant C code bases that don't have those properties. But this is tool true, not just of, you know, like static analysis tools like SimGrep, but also of uh, frameworks. You know, React was explicitly designed at Facebook with one of the goals being to prevent cross-site scripting, which is the most common vulnerability classification for web app. A language like Rust was explicitly designed to, you know, just render not relevant many of the memory corruption type bugs that have plagued languages like C and C++. So I'm I'm very optimistic about the role that developers will shape in the landscape. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a pretty good place to to wrap up. Do you have anything else to add as Isaac? I think the the last thing would just be, you know, like hey, this is a FOSS tool. We're very active on uh, GitHub and we have a Slack. We would absolutely love feedback. You can go to simgrep.dev or just Google it. You don't have to install anything. There's a, an interactive playground that you can just use to kind of like see what queries match what. And you know, if you're like, huh, I feel like that should match that thing, send us a bug report. We'd love the feedback. Cool. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you coming on. Likewise, Jeff, thanks so much for hosting me.